Ah, uh, yes. Welcome to another episode of the Like a TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a jam-packed show of all different kinds of sports to talk to you today. Of course, I'm going to recap Super Bowl 53 that last time we talked uh, was up upon us. I'll touch on the NBA trade deadline that was th- from this past week. I'll also talk about the AAF, the new uh, Alliance of American Football, I think that's what it's called. And I'll break down that and give you my opinions on that and how well I think that league will do in the springtime. And also I'll touch on the uh, late, great uh, Frank Robinson that passed away earlier uh, last week too, uh, one of the ga- one of baseball's all-time greatest uh, players in its history. But first, of course, last time we talked, it was about a few hours uh, before the kickoff of Super Bowl 53 between the New England Patriots, their third straight time making it to the Super Bowl, going up against the NFC champion Los Angeles Rams. And I predicted that the New England page I had predicted the New England Patriots going to win the game. I told you that. I told you told y'all that in front of you all. I told that to Brennan to make it more specific. But I predicted that the New England Patriots would win the game because I didn't see the. I did, could not under any circumstances seeing the Patriots lose back to back Super Bowls. And that's basically the premise that I uh, relied on. And. I'm taking Tom Brady over Jared Goff any day, even though I cannot stand Tom Brady as far as I can throw him. But still, he is the greatest quarterback that I have ever seen and that America has ever seen as far as uh, Hall of Fame quarterback uh, worthiness is concerned. But New England Patriots are Super Bowl 53 champions in what was possibly one of the boringest even if that's even a word, if it isn't, I don't care. But one of the one of the most anti anticlimactic snooze fest. God, can you have a replay of this Super Bowls I've ever seen in my life? I've seen every Super Bowl from about. I've seen every Super Bowl from maybe Super Bowl from Super Bowl. Uh, I've been watching football for about eleven, twelve years, and that was the worst one out of all of them. The only one that comes close was was uh, Seahawks and Broncos Super Bowl 48, but that one wasn't necessarily bad for the same reasons this was bad. This one that one was the best Super Bowl because the Seahawks blew out Peyton Manning and the Broncos right out the water. That's why that was a bad Super Bowl. This one was a bad Super Bowl because there was not a touchdown to be scored until the fourth quarter in the ga- in the uh, game. Outside of that touchdown, it was really it, I, there were more punts in that game than you can shake a stick at. I mean the I mean there was punts all around. All, and I mean in the first half, Rams put up zero points, fifty-seven total yards, six punts, and only had two and only had and only had uh, two first downs. I mean, and that's just on the Rams side. But I mean. Oh, what a what a dull Super Bowl. What a dull, 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 duller than dull Super Bowl. That game was not entertaining. I'm so, it was a close it was a close game, it was a competitive game, but it was not a good game as far as entertainment value was concerned. I mean, this game drew the NFL's worst rating for a Super Bowl in ten years. Super Bowl forty three between the Cardinals and and the uh, Steelers draw draw their worst rating in ten years. 
I mean, uh, I mean, even, I mean, I mean, Patriot fatigue it definitely was a part of it. I mean, when you have Patriot fatigue and you have a large group of people who think, in New Orleans, I'm talking to you, who feel like that the Rams shouldn't have been there because the Saints got jobbed in the NFC Championship game. When you put those two factors together, it's you're gonna have you're gonna have uh, problems drawing eyeballs to the sets. On top of the fact you take in the political stuff and the Kaepernick and all that nonsense, but just those two alone that that have to do with the actual product on the field, that's enough to draw away eyeballs from the uh, television to draw uh, eyeballs away from the uh, from the televisions. But the game was was very dull. It was it was very boring. It had no score after the first quarter. New England was up three to nothing come halftime. Halftime, you gouged your eyes out through Maroon 5. I mean, I get it. It was a safe choice by the National Football League because they don't want to put up rappers who's, you know, rapping about things that, you know, my I don't want my five-year-old cousin to hear. But, you know, you take... So, you know, I, I can kind of see why they kind of went with Maroon 5. But at the same time, oh God, it was it was dull. I mean, girls, girls like you doesn't work unless you have Cardi B in it, and Cardi B along with the uh, rest of uh, with the majority of the black entertainers out there who think they're uh, Dr. King, who you know protest because how dare the NFL not have Colin Kaepernick in the league, but. But so you had them, so you also had the idea that their music wasn't fam wasn't family oriented. On top of the idea that you know all of a sudden, you know we want to be uh we want to be uh civil rights activists and and give Colin Kaepernick is you know the second coming of Jesus and how dare you not have him on an NFL roster when he hasn't been relevant in a like for stuff on the football field since 2013. So you had that going into the equation. Man, I'm getting off the beaten path. The halftime show was dull and boring. Uh, that is just, I wouldn't watch that halftime show if they put it in my backyard. I'd draw the blinds. Game was just as bad. Again, dull and boring. One touchdown scored in the game. That was a little cheap two yard rushing touchdown in the fourth quarter. Uh, the commercials outside the NFL 100 commercial were not good, uh, but at the end of the day, it was it was just a really all in all like not just the game itself, but like as an event, the Super Bowl 53 was one bad, 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 bad event. The commercials were outside again outside the NFL 100 commercial, which was really the best thing I saw all night. Outside of that one at ad, at halftime. The halftime show, the commercials for the most part in the game were dull, boring, and very, very, very disappointing. Very, very, very disappointing. And for the Trey Wingos of the world who absolutely threw a temper tantrum and threw a fit and lost his ever-loving mind on Wingo and Golic, the radio show that uh, no one watches. More people listen to my dopey podcast than they listen to uh, Wingo and Golik, trust me, but you know, I got him throwing a temper tantrum about how dare you say that Super Bowl 53 
was a uh, was a bad Super Bowl when at the end of the day it's their lowest rating in ten years, uh, lowest rating in ten years, and we didn't have a touchdown scored till about midway through the fourth quarter. With and again, you had top five offense in football going up against the goat Tom Brady. I mean, you would you you would think you would expect a little something more exciting than thirteen to three with one touchdown scored in the game. But you know, I just, I sat around and watched it with my family and my uh, and my aunt and uncle that came over, and my aunt was just oh my, she was like, "Can somebody score, please? Like you're wasting my time. Can someone score a touchdown? Can someone force a fumble, get an interception, take it back? Can someone do something to break this game over, get a little excitement, get a little juice into this ball game?" But we didn't. Well, we didn't have any of it, you know. I mean, and I'm not the type of person that. You know, finds fifty four to three, finds fifty four fifty one exciting, and thirteen to three, thirteen to three. See, thir- in order for thirteen and three to work, it has to like have like some components in the game. You know, like Patriots score a touchdown on the opening kickoff. You know, to begin the game, or or someone, or the Patriots score pick six, and it's and it's back and forth with back and forth with turnovers, but, you know, Tom Brady went through one interception, it was his first, it was his first, uh, it was his first, uh, pass attempt in the game, he threw one interception, and that was it, you know, and then played a pretty pedestrian game at quarterback, his worst, worst game statistically that he's, uh, that the worst game statistically he's played while winning the Super Bowl, but, Jared Goff, same thing, you know. I mean, he was bad in the oh, he was bad in the game, and I'll get to and I'll break down the game in, in great detail a little bit later on. But you know, when you only have two turnovers in the game, two not. I mean, the Brady one was kind of climatic because you thought, oh wow, Brady throwing interception, it's time for the Rams to get it here. But the Rams, like like the Saints, uh, the two weeks prior to that game could not capitalize off of the turnovers and the miscues made by the opponent and their patriots so you know that the that the miscues that the few miscues that they do make you got to take full advantage of them cuz eventually those mistakes are going to uh, run out but again the game was dull and boring a halftime show I wouldn't watch it again if they if it was in the backyard draw the blinds tell Adam Levine to keep his shirt on uh, and I don't need someone doing an ASMR video with uh, low-calorie Michelob Ultra in the middle of the woods and putting that as a Super Bowl commercial. That was tough to take as well. But and no, and no one and and CBS no, no one gives a crap about the world's best. I mean, with Drew Barrymore, James Corden, and two no no one cares that a person can wrap the, can wrap themselves. It with their right leg, uh, twenty thousand times to the point where they make them suffocate, or if or Drew Barrymore can look into a, a cat's eyes and they fall out right. Nobody, no one, no one gives a crap. And you kind of wait, and you know you like rushing the whole post game. For you know, want to hear from Belichick? Want to hear from? McV- I want to hear through all that, and plus the Vince Lombardi. And you're rushing me out of there to get to that dopey show and saying, "Hey, uh, find CBS Sports Network." That you know, unless you're watching the uh, Alliance, and I'll get to it later in the show. But unless you're watching, no one knows where CBS Sports Network is. Uh, 
But anyway, uh, I'll break down the game in uh, greater detail, both sides, winning and losing side, right after this. Welcome back to the Amatelaki TIS podcast. Uh, let's break down this game in greater detail. I'll go with the uh, losing side first with the Rams, and their defense played well in the game. Uh, in, the, in the early part of the game, they got after uh, Tom Brady. They kind of made him a little nervous. They made him force a fumble, which they should have had recovered, but... You know, they made Brady they made Brady think twice back there before, you know, he threw the football. So I give that defensive line led by uh Wade Phillips who also did a great job with the pass rush like I brought up uh, last week and when they uh, he was a member of the Denver Broncos in the two thousand fifteen uh AFC championship game and did a phenomenal job there and for the most part defensively he did a great job in uh, Super Bowl 53, if only he could stop uh, Julian Edelman, who, even though he didn't reach the end zone, caught 10 passes 12, for 12, had, it was targeted 12 times, caught 10, caught 10 passes for 141 yards. He got Super Bowl MVP. So really, if, if, if the Rams defense knew how to stop Edelman and knew how to stop, you know, the big time when it needed it most third down passes that Brady gave to Rob Gronkowski, you know, the the Rams might have won this game. But even then you can't say that because the offensive performance by the Los Angeles Rams was absolutely abysmal. Uh, Jared Goff, 19 for 38, 229, no touchdown passes, of course, and an interception. I mean, Jared Goff, I mean, you want to talk about playing scared and playing weekend and not being able to rise to the occasion and letting the moment be and get too big for you. I mean, holy gosh. I mean, if he was more scared, I mean, oh my goodness, he was scared. He was rattled. He had Brady and Bill had him shaking in his boots. He was playing in the like I mean you I mean I don't know if you noticed but like during the national anthem he's had has his right hand over his chest over his chest and he and he's like shaking and quivering I, I mean like oh my we're really in this huh we are really in the Super Bowl you got all these people watching on television seventy thousand plus uh which by the way the where majority of Patriots fans Rams fans did a horrendous job trying to support their team it's their first it's the ram if it's the rams first super bowl since the last time the game was down there in the year 2000 for super bowl uh 34 and and for the team being in los angeles it's the first time being in the game in 39 uh years 39 seasons and the fans did an apps, and I get it, it's a long flight and everything else, but they did a horrendous job filling up Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I mean, when you want to talk about compare and contrast, last year, U.S. Bank Stadium was Eagles fans. This year, this year the whole place was Patriot fans in, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I mean, there were more Patriots out there. I mean, the ratio for Patriots fans for every uh, L.A. Rams fan was like 10 to 1. Rams fan did a horrendous job supporting their team. And I think that and you could say that had a little bit something to do with how they played. I mean, you and you heard it was either Bra- it was either Brady or it was either Brady or Kraft that said that 
No, I'm sorry. It was either Brady or Edelman that said during the trophy presentation that it was pretty much the equivalent of playing a game at Gillette Stadium, which if you need to know anything about the Patriots, the last thing that they need to help them have a competitive edge in, in any game sorts, especially a playoff game, and the Super Bowl is is a playoff game. You know, it's the championship game, but it is a playoff game. The last thing the Patriots need is having fan support and and big and being felt right at home and comfortable with large amounts of fan support. That's the last thing is if you're an opponent you you would want is large patriot support especially in a uh, in a uh, in the Super Bowl. That's that's the last thing. So the Rams did a bad job on that. But back to Jared Goff. I mean I know, but I mean, oh God, it was it was painful. It was he can't nineteen for thirty eight. Jared Goff, and this is the same guy that outplayed Hall of Fame quarterback Drew Brees the two weeks prior, and he gets us up in the Super Bowl after, and even even in that game, at least for the, I mean, you want to talk about seeing uh, seeing deja vu from the first quarter in the Saints game. I mean, except this time it lasted the whole game. I mean, the Saints game in his first road playoff game of his NFL career when he played the Saints two weeks prior to last week, he for the first quarter he was shaking in his boots. He didn't know what, he didn't know what to do. He had his head on a swivel. I mean, he was so rattled and so scared. He didn't know who struck John, and you saw it because of how how hungry the Saints defense got after him in the NFC Championship game. Uh, last, sun, last Sunday night, it was no different. Uh, the, the Patriots' uh, defensive front got after him. They made him force incomplete passes. Uh, they had tight, solid coverage in the secondary. And Jared Goff did not have an answer. And Sean McVay, let's hold his feet to the fire, too. I mean... I, every single time it seemed like they had the camera on him, he was stuck like dead in the headlights. Mouth open, all you, you just see his eyes getting big, stuck like dead in the headlights. I mean, come on! I mean, come on! If you guys want to be macho men, and you know Sean McVay walking around with you know some no name uh, Ukrainian girl. You know, if he wants to sit and walk around, he and Jared Goff, they won't walk around with the, uh, you know, supermodels as significant others. You better, you better start playing like you should have a significant, have a supermodel as, as a significant other. I, I mean, come on now. I mean, let, let, let's let's act like let's act like we're men and not timid boys. You 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 big bad bullies. You know, you, when it comes to to uh to to having a superior uh, girlfriends but you know, all of a sudden it's the super bowl and you know it's a boy and after overdone and and tedious amounts of pregame and discussion and interviews whole snap we have we have actually have a game to play and those two absolutely completely just wet the bed i mean jared goff will give a little bit of a pass but mcveigh i mean on a third and 22 mcveigh you're gonna sit up here and run a little pathetic inside run run play with CJ Anderson I mean and then a throw the ball in that situation Gee whiz, McVeigh really third and 22 you're run, you're running with CJ Anderson Re- really on a third and 22 in the Super Bowl against Brady and Belichick you are running a, a run play you when you haven't scored a touchdown the whole McVeigh are you kidding me here that bothered me.
along with the idea of, of where was Todd Gurley in the game? I mean, was he hurt? I mean, what what was what I mean, what was the, what was the deal here? He only had ten carries for thirty five yards and averaged three and a half points a game. And all we ever and all we heard for two weeks was that Tom Girl, Todd Gurley was going to be it was going to be repping ready it was going to be repping ready to go for the Super Bowl. That's 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 literally all we heard. All we heard was that Gurley's going to, was going to be you know was going to be as as fine as sugar and spice. He's going to be all repping ready for the game. Yet and yet in the biggest game of his life, he gives me ten carries for thirty five yards and no touchdowns. I mean, I mean, if the if 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 you are hurt, admit it. Be honest. Be full, transparent, and just tell us that you're hurt, that you're still banged up from early. Just be, just be outright and honest with it. There's no need for you to be selfish and kind of quote unquote sabotage the team. And when the team basically, when you're a big part of the team's offensive game plan, and Super Bowl Sunday rolls around. 6.30 comes, kick off, balls in the air, and you're on the sideline riding a bicycle and, and doing all this aerobics crap, and when you're on the field, you're giving me 10 carries for 35 yards. I mean, if you are not healthy, be a man, grow a pair, and, and just be bold enough to say, Coach, I'm not feeling 100%. Give, give CJ the call. And then it's not fair to him and it's not fair to him because CJ is like, well, he has to surrender to Todd Gurley because he's a franchise quarterback. But at the same time, if Gurley ain't ready, Gurley ain't ready. And he can't necessarily step on Gurley's toes because Gurley is their franchise running back. But at the but you know what? But you have him stuck in between a rock and a hard place because you have him saying, "Well, do I well do I put in the extra work and do I go far and beyond to prepare for for Sunday's game or do I hold it back because Gurley's going to be the man uh, behind golf come Sunday anyway? So you so you so you put Anderson and you put McVeigh in a tough spot. So I'm so I'm down on Gurley and I'm down on McVeigh again. Third and twenty-two run play. McVeigh, get your head out of your hind parts. You know, quit thinking about you know the night you're gonna have with Veronica, whatever the whatever her last name is, Romping Stomp, whatever the name is. Stop focusing on that, big boy. Now you're thirty thirty. You're thirty-two years of age. Grown man, all this talk and all this and the hype train about Sean McVay is the second coming of Vince Lombardi. All this, all this stuff I've been hearing for the past for the past two seasons now. Biggest, biggest game you've ever coached in your life. Let's step up, be a man, put your big boy pants on, grow a pair, grab him, feel him, and sniff him, and let's go out here, go up against Brady and Belichick. Let's go to work. And then before the game, it's it's this oh this Belichick love fest. It's Belichick, I love you, I, I love you. You're amazing. You're holier than thou. Let me let me get on my knees so I can kiss your hand, put a ring on your finger, and sandals when you feel like they did in the biblical day. I mean, oh my God, you would have thought Bella, you would have thought Belichick was Gandhi. I mean, oh my God, McVeigh, enough. You have a game to play. I mean, and I know this isn't a war or anything, but Belichick is the enemy. He is the one thing that's keeping you from winning, from winning a Super Bowl championship. 
And you want to be all buddy-buddy with Belichick then in the pregame? No. When you beat... Like, there's a great line that uh, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick, that Brian Billick had for the 2000 Ravens team when they played the Tennessee Titans in a 2000 AFC Divisional Playoff game. When you, he said this. I'm paraphrasing. He said, "When you, I was like, when you go, he said, when you go into a lion's den, when you go into a lion's den, you don't tippy toe in softly." You 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 get up. You you put a hammer or a spear, whatever you say. You put a weapon in your hand. You put a weapon in your hand. You kick the door down. You come in streaming. And you say, "Where's that?" For you know the abbreviate. Where's the where where's the sob? He's like, if if you if you do anything but that, you're going to lose. And that's what the Rams did. Instead of taking a page out of out of Doug Peterson's and or Tom Coughlin's book. And going and instead of them going into a lion's den and going up and going and going instead of them going into the house of the of the uh, of of the uh, of the uh, repeated champions, instead of going in into the house of the enemy, instead of them with a with a with a hammer or a bat or a spear or a sword in their hands, instead of them going in there. Coming and screaming loudly, kicking the door down, and say and say where is he so I can whoop it. Instead of him doing that, he went up in there and tiptoed and and and, and sneaked around and crawled around and 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 moonwalked in and tried to be oh so cute, trying to somebody trying to be cute and and expected and expected to walk out there. It was expected to walk out walk out of that game with victory. That is not how you beat Brady and Belichick in the Super Bowl. Peterson can tell Doug Peterson can tell you that. Coughlin can tell you that. Coughlin did it twice. Peterson did it last year. You don't go. You don't play New England Patriots in the Super Bowl and you tip those in and you try to be nicey nice with them. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's it's like I'm the good. I'm like I have a goal in mind. You're you're the you're the object keeping me from getting to that goal. You are the enemy. You are the bad guy. You are pub you are public enemy number one. I don't care how I don't care how long I'm gonna have to be here or what it takes. All I know is that I ain't leaving here unless I get that Vince Lombardi trophy. And if you stand in my way and I and I got and I gotta kick it and then as my uncle would say, tear you a new natural, then so be it. And that's not what Sean McVay did. He tippy-toed around him. He was he was being cordial. He was being too nice. And when he won that championship, he couldn't get it because that because that because that mad dark that 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 growl that that roar that that hunger that ultimate desire wasn't in him. And he'd sit up here and he'd think he was trying to be all cute and nice and think everything's sugar and spice and everything nice. And when he tried to get to the championship, Belichick smacked his hand and said, not so fast. But Brady's an all-time great. That's another thing, you know, Tom Brady can't stand him. Like I've said, ad infinitum, can't stand him as far as I can throw him, but... You know he didn't play his best game, you know, in the Super Bowl winning appearances that he's had. He's got six Super Bowls, ties the Pittsburgh Steelers for the most championships, 
of most Super Bowl championships in NFL history. So, congratulations to Tom Brady. He earns my respect as the game's all is the game's greatest quarterback to ever play the game. And if I ever saw them in person, I'd say, "Hey Brady, I can't stand you, but." Hats off to you, and I respect you for the greatness that you've done in your, what, 18-year, 17, 18-year career in the National Football League. Six Super Bowls, six-round draft pick, not being not being Michigan's, you know, starting quarterback and you were there. You've come a long way. Congratulations, I give it to you. And I and if and if I ever did run into Tom Brady, I, I'd tell him that straight to his face. I said I said I hate you. I, you are not. You are nowhere near my favorite quarterback. But you 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 are the greatest. And you know people had to, people who couldn't stand Muhammad Ali had to do the same thing. People that that didn't that couldn't stand Michael Jordan had to do the same thing. So and you know so. If it is what it is, you know, so be it. He's a he's the greatest. Congratulations to him. And it better be the last Super Bowl I ever see the New England Patriots win because I'm getting pretty sick and tired of watching them win a Super Bowl every year. And Chiefs, Chiefs, Ravens, Chargers, especially those three especially. And I'm not even getting, but those Chiefs, Chargers, Ravens, Steffi game up. I better not see them in the Super Bowl next year. I, 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 Make the third one the last. Make the sixth one the last one in the third straight year the last year. Okay? I want a different AFC team in the Super Bowl. NFC, outside of the Seahawks in 2013 and 14, it changes literally every year. AFC, I'm sick of the Patriots. Put them to sleep forever. Come right back. Talk NBA trade deadline right after this welcome back to the amatelaki tis podcast and for the really the second time in this podcast i'll talk nba basketball with you more trade deadline than actual playing on the field to get to the playing on the field of course as time goes on uh really touch on i got two things i talk about anthony davis and the porzingis trade that occurred during super bowl week that i couldn't touch on because, of course, it was the Super Bowl. But the Knicks traded Kristaps Porzingis to the Dallas Mavericks. The Knicks brought the Knicks uh, get back Dennis Smith Jr. Clear a bunch of salary while also receiving Wesley Matthews and DeAndre Jordan, and they send Tim Hardaway and Courtney Lee to the Dallas Mavericks. The Knicks will also get two future first round picks. From the Mavericks, and you saw Porzingis. It's funny how it's funny how time, you know, time flies. You know, Nick fans were like up in arms and were woe was me and Stephen A. Smith ranting on SportsCenter and everything else. But and now and now some of now some of them are mad at the Knicks because they traded what was their best player. But Porzingis, I mean, I mean. He didn't want to be there, to be quite honest with you. I mean, the Knicks, especially under James Dolan, uh, owning the team, the Knicks franchise is an absolute mess. 
I mean, Dolan is just, whether it's WFAN and the contracts with them or and them not getting along or or kicking a Charles Oakley out, whatever it is. But James Dolan has become a toxic, toxic owner in the NBA. And you can see why Porzingis didn't want to be there. Meanwhile, for the Knicks, the good part about this is that it clears up space so they can afford to sign a free agent like Kevin Durant, who's a free agent after this season, or when Kyrie Irving wants to leave uh, Boston, they can also uh, get him as well. But Porzingis out of New York to Dallas, and we will see what happens with that. More to something, to something I got a little bit more of an opinion on is Anthony Davis and him saying he wants to trade. He has he's had the rest of this year and next year as a New Orleans Pelican, and he requested a trade. I think during the same either this past week or during Super Bowl week. I forget which one, but. He, I think, it was during Super Bowl week. He wanted, he said, he wanted out of New Orleans, which for New Orleans that puts themselves in a bad situation because the t- the team can't draw flies enough as it is with Anthony Davis on the team. And when Anthony Davis gets traded, I mean, that team is dead. I mean, this is the team. This is not an expansion team. This is the team that moved from Charlotte to New Orleans, who you know doesn't have a championship. Nothing, and this is also owned by uh, Gail Benson, who is the successor and the heir to her her late husband Tom Benson's uh, owner. Uh, you know ownership stakes and owning the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans. But the the arena, from what I hear, is a mess, uh, and their lease is running low on the arena. Uh, and it's a, it's a foot, they play in a football state of Louisiana. It's LSU football. It's it, it, the sports, sports in Louisiana is dominated by LSU football and, and the Saints. Saints and LSU football is all Louisiana needs for sports. You give them LSU football and you give them the Saints. And if both of those teams are competitive, LSU played in a bowl game, I believe, and the Saints made it to the NFC Championship game and have gone back-to-back years with uh, winning their division. So that's all they need from a sports standpoint. And if the team is trash and if they are disinterested, (laughs) they will not show up. And the team is already dead with uh, Anthony Davis on the team. And you can imagine what he wants. And he wants out, even though he's still on the team. But... When he's finally gone, they will they won't be able to give those tickets away, and and they try to make a trade out with the Lakers. The Lakers basically wanted to give them their whole roster except for LeBron James because they were so desperate to get Anthony Davis, which and which isn't a good idea because you know it's the same it's the same thing. You can kind of tie similar knots to May Machado last year with my Orioles and the New York Yankees, you know, and and good thing for the Yankees and it's it's really it's I nearly identical sort of parallels to it. Both of the, the Pelicans and Orioles, you know, stink. Lakers and the Yankees are both the big bad boys and 
Yankees for the or- Yankees are to the Orioles what the Lakers are to the Pelicans. The big bad evil rich empires and the two law la- and one in one of the two largest media and two largest outlets in America in Los Angeles and in New York. The big bad boys with lots of championships and you know and they both of those teams handled handled it perfectly exactly if i'm the pelicans why would i why would i want to go help magic and the lakers well why why in my, i i stink i can't draw anybody why why would i want to go why would i want to take on the lakers baggage and 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 help out the lakers that's the last thing i want to do like I like I got nothing to lose and eh? I got nothing to lose anyway. Team stinks, can't draw anybody. He wants out anyways. Why, why why trade him now? When when you're rich enough that that in two years when he becomes a free agent and in the Orioles case, with Manny Machado, after this season he becomes a free agent, you can throw him all the money in the world you want at him. Like like why why would I take on your baggage and help you? For you, for you to get stronger, for you to kick us around for the next five, for the next five to ten years. Why would I help myself? Why would I hurt myself by helping you? Is basically what is basically what it comes down to. Why would the Pelicans help the Lakers kick them all up and down the court every year after year after year, and by giving you Anthony Davis for basically a bag of of Dorito chips? Why would I do that? You draw the same parallels of the Orioles. Why would the Orioles help the New York Yankees while taking on... Now, the Yankees are going to give them, you know, quality players. But still, why would the Orioles help the Yankees, who they play 19 times a year, who they play in the same division as they do, who are clearly the inferior to the superior Yankees? Why would they help them out and for them to kick them all up and down the field for six months, 19 times a year? For the next five to ten years, when after this season you guys can throw boatloads of money at them, and we won't have, and we can't say boo, boo hoo, or say anything about it. Same, same parallel. And and what and what the Lakers did is what the same thing the Yank was what same thing what the Orioles did, and the Orioles told the and the Orioles basically told the Yankees to go kick rocks. You know, you you want you want them wait till after this year, then you can have them. We're not trading you to the to the New York. We're not trading our best player to the hated rival New York Yankees. Like we to help you guys out. We are under. I don't care if if we if if we 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 don't care. We are are not under any circumstances helping you guys out. Anybody but you guys. I I don't care if we gotta trade him to the Nationals. We are not under any circumstances trading Manny Child to the New York Yankees. And if he wants to be a New York Yankee in free agency, that's the, that's the decision between him and his agent and his family. That's the decision he made on his own, and we can't we can't say anything about it. But when we have something to say about it, it'd be a cold day in hell before before we give you guys Manny Machado on our own discretion and in our own terms. And what exactly what the Warriors did? They told how they told Steinbrenner and Cashman and Yankees, they told them to go kick rocks. You want Manny Waits left this year? We we ain't giving we ain't we ain't giving you Manny for what? They're like like no like no like we're not helping you guys out. No, you you want Manny wait till free agency? Then you can get him. Why why do you think they traded him to the Los Angeles Dodgers? They traded him to the to the furthest team. They to the furthest team. 
in in baseball, like the the westest team in baseball, who who they only play once every once every three years anyway. They don't have a they don't have a rivalry with them. They only play them once every three years. They play far out on the west coast in the NL West. Trade them to the Dodgers. And same same thing with the Pelicans. They're not going to trade Anthony Davis to the Los Angeles Lakers to help them kick kick them up and down the court for for six months. Why, why would they do that for for the rest of this year and next year? To they'll, because they'll have them in, in uh, next year. Well, why 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 make us look any worse than what we are? Why help us while shooting out while shooting ourselves in the foot? Like I'm not doing that. If he wants to be a lake, let him do it. Let let him make that mind up for himself. We're not we're not helping you, no. And basically told Magic and the Lakers go kick rocks. Wait 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 till 2020 to get him. Wait wait till wait till uh, wait till um, summer 2020 for you to sign him. And good job for the Pelicans to do that. Cause you know what do you have to lose? You can't. You don't draw anybody. Your team's going to be a, a NBA wasteland once he does get out of town. Why? Why help the Lakers? It's a good job by them. You know, and and you traded. So we trade you guys our best player, and what what you guys give us? What Lonzo Ball, and we got to put up with his loud mouth, dopey, uh, stupid head in the clouds, father. Uh. Uh-uh. Good job by the Pelicans for not trade for not training him to the Lakers. Told the Lakers go kick rocks. Good for them. I'll take a break. I'll touch on the late uh, Frank Robinson right after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now. Uh, earlier this week, the sports world, the Baltimore Orioles, and the game of baseball lost a great player and, most importantly, a great human being. And that was Frank Robinson, who passed away at age 83 earlier this week. I believe it was Thursday he passed away. He died of bone cancer. I remember reading in the paper, especially uh, of the USA uh, Today, I read that he his health was failing significantly. Uh, that you know, they his family and people around didn't give you know, didn't say in great detail what exactly was wrong with him, but they said that he was in critical condition with his help with his health excuse me and uh that you know things weren't going to be good and and the good lord took him on uh the 7th of february uh in in the year 2019 and what a phenomenal phenomenal baseball player frank robinson was he had 294 career lifetime had 586 career home runs and 2,949 hits. I mean, if he played a little while longer, he would have had 3,000 hits and 500 and and, uh, and might have knocked on 600 home runs. So if he would have played a little bit longer, he would have been a greater player 
than he than he already uh, is and was uh, at the time. He's a two-time MVP, the only play, the first black player, and the only player in Major League Baseball history to win an MVP award in both the American League and National League. Um, he also was is the first. Uh, excuse me, he was the first black manager in Major League Baseball history. Same goes with the teams that he man- managed in the Giants, Indians, and of course the. Uh, Baltimore Orioles. Uh, he was the manager for the 1988 team that was that was often made parallels to with my with the two with the this past 2018 2000 or excuse me this past 2018 Baltimore Orioles team, but but he was the manager of that team and uh, he he was a solid uh, ball player. Uh, one of my grandmother's all time favorites and definitely one of the game's all-time greats. Uh, there will never be another Frank Robinson. Uh can tell you that. Teammates loved him from Pete Rose to to uh, Boog Powell. I mean, every, his teammates loved him. His teammates revered him as a man, as a and you know Pete Rose, he was told, especially in you know Cincinnati was a you know a racist city, a city that gave P gave people hard that gave Pee Wee Reese a hard time of how he befriended Jackie Robinson because he was right all right across the Kentucky borderline, and you all and you remember that scene from the movie Forty Two how Pee Wee Reese literally looked at the crowd and like wrapped his arm around. Jackie Robinson's kind of same way between Frank Robinson and Pete Rose, but Pete Rose didn't care about you know people's prejudices. He looked at him as a solid ball player who was a great and phenomenal human being. Uh, in the six years with the Orioles, he had he hit hundred and seventy. He hit a hundred and seventy nine home runs, five hundred forty five RBIs. Slow thirty-five bases, and hit a three-hundred average with a slugging percentage of five forty-three and an OPS of nine forty-four. So he was a solid player with the Orioles. He played for them for six years. After he played with the Reds for ten years, remember the great trade between for the Reds got Milt Pappas and the Orioles got a uh, got uh, Frank Robinson, and Frank Robinson ended up winning the Triple Crown. American League MVP and won the world and won the Orioles their first World Series championship all in the same year in 1966. My mother wasn't was my mother was was uh, inside my grandmother's womb during that season, and by the team and by the time the team lifted the Commissioner's Trophy in early October, my mother wasn't even a month old. So factor that in, and then he left Baltimore to go play with the Cleveland Indians for two years. Played with the Angels for two, and then wrapped up his career with the Dodgers and played uh, one year with them. But what a phenomenal, really underrated uh, baseball player he was. I mean, whether it had to do with the fact that he was marginalized and looked down upon because he was a black man playing a white man's sports such as baseball, and he didn't and he had to compete for attention with guys like DiMaggio and Maris and all the... And and Colfax in the '60s and everything else, and also and he also had to share the spotlight with the black players at the time, such as 
Willie Mays and uh, Hank Aaron as well, and Bob and great Bob Gibson, which uh, those of you listening would know Bob Gibson from uh, Bob Costas, but Bob Gibson, look him up. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal Hall of Fame pitcher for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals back uh, 50 plus years ago. But Frank Robinson, again, what a great underrated baseball player he was. Only player in in the long history of baseball is only one player that has won MVP in two different leagues, and on top of that, triple crown MVP and World Series champion all in the same season. His first year on a new team that was Frank Robinson, and is also in top five in the league in uh, in home runs. So you also factor that in and had to play. And spent the and really he's he's really he's not remembered as he's he's associated with Cleveland because he was a because he was a player manager for them for you know he made history with the Indians with that he's not remembered as you know in L A as he is in Cleveland as a manager and in Cincinnati and of course here in Baltimore as a player but he was but can you but and he. Hitting state. I mean, this is and this is in the nineteen sixties where, you know, the met the medical stuff and the and the protein shake. They, it, you know, it wasn't what it is now. Going back, fifty years ago, and he and so when he put bat to ball, he he put bat to ball with no steroids, no health, physical muscle supplements, no nothing. But he he put back the ball. He made it fly in, and and he and one like he was hitting in the bandbox ballparks that he's hitting in. You know, in today's baseball, I mean, left. I mean, the porches down the line they were short three oh nine or down the line to right field three oh nine down the line to left field at Memorial Stadium they were short, but. Left center four forty six, center field four forty five, and right center four forty six. So he had to put bat to ball and really put some muscle and hip movement behind it when he made con when he made contact. Those stadiums were not under any circumstances. At least when you hit when you're driving the ball, if that ball was now they made it easier in the nineties and eighties, but. 1954 into the 60s and into the uh, early 70s, you had you had to put some muscle behind the ball to hit it, and and what it and you can only imagine if he hit if he hit that well in such a large dimension stadium such as Memorial Stadium, you can only imagine him hitting an Oriole Park in Camden Yards, which is an you can put. Oriel Park in Camden Yards inside of Memorial Stadium. That's how big Memorial Stadium was compared to Oriel Park. He put Frank Robson in Oriel Park. No doubt he has over 600 home runs, and he's and he is and routinely he's hitting home runs off the warehouse into the third deck. Who, who as great as Frank was again with no steroids or nothing, he's probably hit, hitting home run balls that's crashing windows across the street into the uh, into the Hilton Hotel across the street from the stadium. 
But what a phenomenal player Frank Wright. And that's just in Baltimore. I hadn't even gotten to. Uh, I think they played in Crosley Field uh, back then. I haven't even gotten to that point. I'm just talking about here in Baltimore. And one other little anecdote. And then I'll take a break and I'll get on to other things. But he's also the first player. In the Not the first, but the only player in the history of Baltimore's Memorial Stadium on 33rd Street. The only player to hit a home run out. He hit it off of Luis Tatum. Tiant, I think that's what his name is, that pitched for the Cleveland Indians, I think Mother's Day, I think of 66, a lot of magical things happened for not just the Warriors, but Frank Robinson in the 66 season, he had a ball out, clear, cleared Memorial Stadium, hit it out of Memorial Stadium, ended up in the Memorial Stadium parking lot, and since then they tore down, and since that, since that game, he put up an orange they put up an orange flag with black lettering on it that said here that marked the territory where Frank Robinson hit the only home run out of Memorial Stadium. So, well, Memorial Stadium closed in after the, after the Ravens, uh, I think it was the Ravens, either first season or their second season. It closed in 1997. So it closed in 1997 and was demolished February of '02. So, and since then, they've, you know, the stadium's torn down, but the Ripken brothers, Billy and Cal, they built, they built a, a base, they put a, they put a, a multi, uh, multi-use sports field on the Memorial State, on the old Memorial Stadium playing site. It's called Memorial Field at the Y down on 33rd Street in the city. And in and in the far left distance, it's an apartment complex. But and the for the parking lot, the most for the most part, you know, is still sitting there. But they built, uh, they basically built, they re they remodeled and redid Memorial Stadium. But they but it's more of a field than an actual stadium. So you know, there's bleacher seats and anything else. But the field. It's it's field turf, but the field is literally still sitting there in a more remodeled form than what it was back in the day at Memorial Stadium. They have you know it's a, they have a baseball field and then they have a football field, which of course which was the stadium's uses back in the day. It was a baseball field, of course, for the Orioles, and it was expanded into a football field. When the Colts played there with uh, Johnny Unitas and uh, Raymond Barry and every and the and the crew from the Baltimore Colts days with Don Shula and Ted Marshabroda and I could go on and on and on about that, but but you but the I recommend if you are a sports fan, if you are an Orioles fan, if you are a sports historian. I suggest you uh, take a trip down to Thirty Third Street and, and just look at this. Look at the stadium and not look at the same, but look at the field and have someone you know who's been around a little bit and who who remembers and recalls going to Thirty Third Street for Orioles games, like my grandmother and both of my uh, parents do. Go down there and uh, reminisce about the days of the old Orioles in the Baltimore. Colts, a little uh, ba- a little sports history, a little local Baltimore sports history lesson for you. But anyway, but anyway, whole point why I'm telling you guys this is that when they tore it down, uh, 
they put and they and they basically remodeled the sports field pretty much they put up the here flag in the left field area approximately they don't necessarily know for sure the exact coordinate but approximately where the flag stood at memorial stadium after he hit the 500 after he hit the uh, home run at memorial stadium and that flag is still uh, flying still flying strong out on uh, 33rd Street at Memorial Field, I guess you could call it. And the last few days since his death, they flew it at half-staff. So rest in peace, Frank. Hit plenty of uh, home runs up in heaven. And uh, God rest your merciful soul. And our prayers and thoughts are with his family and his friends and his former teammates and Wish I wish I could have seen him play. I'll tell you one thing. If you give me a time machine, let me go see Frank Robinson play uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s with the Worlds in, in old Memorial Stadium on 33rd Street. No doubt about it. One of the game's all-time great players. Take a break. I'll touch on the AAF. What's the AAF you say? I'll touch on it right after this. Welcome back to Mattel Like TIS podcast. Switching gears back to football, but not the NFL. It's the AAF. What's the AAF, you would say? The Alliance of American Football. It's a professional gridiron American football league founded by Charlie Eppersall, the son of the great CBS sports executive and president, Dick Eppersall, and, and co-founded by ex-Colts and, and uh, ex-Bills uh, GM Bill Polian. It began uh, service days last night uh, f- on February the 9th on CBS. The games can be seen on CBS, CBS Sports Network, NFL Network, and one game on TNT and one game on Bleach Report, on the Bleach Report Live app. Uh, consists of eight centrally owned and operated teams. Uh, eight, te- eight teams are in the league. Uh, all except for Arizona and Atlanta. All of those, the teams that, uh, the sport, the the cities that the teams reside in, do not have an NFL team. Uh, no, San Diego had one, but of course the Chargers moved. Uh, but anyway, uh, headquarters are in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They have eight teams. It's founded in March of two thousand. And eighteen, uh, they had. Let me just read you off some of the teams. They got Atlanta Legends, Birmingham Iron, Memphis Express, Orlando Apollos. That's in the Eastern Conference, Western Conference, Arizona Hotshots, Salt Lake Stallions, San Antonio Commanders, San Diego Fleet, Commanders and Fleet. Uh, played last night on CBS. That was a good game. It's kind of it was kind of like I was watching a repeat of Super Bowl Fifty Three. To be quite honest with you, with with the defense and everything, but you know, people say at least my main man Brendan, who who you know, who's a fan of the show, and you've heard him. He was on last week. He told me he said, you know, it's, 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 the AAF is like better than the NFL. The only thing the catch is is that they just have they they just have a uh, crappier players. Crappier, you know, like, and it's and they had like one. I forget, I wish I had in front of me, but they had one good hit that they had on a quarterback early in the game, and there was no flag. And believe me, if you would check Reddit and the internet and how many jaws dropped, like that, really, that's not roughing the passer penalty. 
this I mean you mean to tell me that if that if a player uh rushing the quarterback all they have to do is slap is slap the quarterback's left patora muscle. That's not a, that's not roughing the passer or an actual clean wrap em up hit on the quarterback. That's not roughing the passer. Yes, in the AAF, that is not a roughing the passer penalty. That which will attract plenty of eyes to the sets and and you know I'm looking forward to it. You know I get you know the month the month of February especially because it's like I'm I like I I'm like in a transition period between my two most favorite sports between baseball and football. Baseball is still cold outside, and they haven't not yet played spring training yet. Meanwhile, NFL you you coming right off the Super Bowl, and it's still like quote unquote football weather with it being cold, especially where I live and where. Some people in America live in the northern part of the East Coast. But, so, you know, this kind of solves that little football itch you get from the week after the Super Bowl till about around the NBA playoffs, which is when you can kind of put football to bed. You know, have have the draft and then kind of put football to bed till August. But, and then the season's supposed to last till around the draft, too, as a matter of fact. But, the team, but the league basically wants to be a developmental league for the NFL. They're not they're not necessarily competing against the NFL. They're indirectly working with them. So, they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to provide an outlet for practice squad players and players who get cut during training camp and throughout the season. It gives them an opportunity for them to shine and showcase their skills on the football field in a team game environment in order for them to eventually make it and eventually be good enough to make it on the NFL starting roster. Uh, and it's also and it's also for, you know, and the and NCAA and the NBA has to look into this too, especially to prevent the uh, one-and-done situation. But it's also meant for the players that a don't have the grades to get into college, and aren't good and aren't good enough players to get into college on a scholarship. It also provides an outlet for players who don't have the grades, or don't have necessarily the great playing ability, or or disinterested in going into college but want to make it to the NFL. This is the way. To that's basically kind of like a short a shortcut to get into the NFL as a playing the AAF, and and hope that you're good enough that you'll impress that you'll impress scouts and people watching, uh. So you end up making the making an NFL, uh, roster, but. The rules basically they're kind of like the they're kind of like the NFL, uh, fifty two teams on each roster. Uh, they they know how, they don't have television timeouts, no extra point kicks, two point conversions after every touchdown. Uh, you can't rush more than five players at the quarterback across the line of scrimmage. Uh, there are no kickoffs. Each possession at the beginning of each half starts at the twenty-five yard line. Uh, play clock only runs thirty-five seconds. Uh, 
No field goals in overtime. Uh, there's a, and this is something that I expect the NFL to use in the future. They have a ninth uh, official. It's, it's called a sky judge, an off-field official who reviews every play using technology in a booth review. They can call or take away penalties missed on the field by the official. So those of you Saints fans out there and you Rams haters out there who, who you know, thinks and uh, you know, knows good and well that the Saints kind of got lucky with the non-passing interference call and feel like the Saints got jobbed, that last part is for you, and I would expect the NFL to look into something like that, if not take it directly from the AAF, is that could is that could solve and and prevent lots of conflict with ref ball and everything and uh, everything else but anyway uh there is that you Troy Palomalu, Heinz Ward, Jared Allen, Justin Tuck, they're the executives of the league, board of directors, one of them's Dick Ebersol and they got CBS, they have a deal with CBS Sports and the NFL uh, Network. They, CBS Sports will have this, the games on your local CBS station. They had two opening night games and a championship game. CBS Sports has... Excuse me, CBS Sports has games broadcast on CBS Sports uh, Network. TNT will have two games, a one regular season game and one playoff game. NFL Network has two weekly games. And, and Turner Sports Bleach Report Live will stream one game a week. And it's also on the radio on Sirius XM. You'll get the uh, CBS, the NFL and CBS, you know, backup crews. So Adam Alchaletta and Sparrow Didis, you'll hear uh, them a lot in the booth. NFL Network, Dan Helley, uh, Marvin Lewis, Old Bungles. <laughs> old Bungles uh, coach doing the color commentary as well at TNT. They'll have Brian Anderson and Marvin Lewis and, and MJD and everything else. So don't expect uh, Tony Romo and uh, and uh, uh, Jim Nance doing the games, but but you have that. Uh, here's here's a here's a stat. Here's a right right quick. There's the, going out to end and to end the show. The overnight Nielsen ratings revealed that they're opening that they're opening televised games again. First game of first game for a new league. Less than seven days after the Super Bowl, you want to sit and talk talk about how America. You want all you people out there who think that who thinks that basketball reigns supreme over the sport of football. Listen to this. Highest rated telecast last night, Saturday night, February the 9th, was the AFF on the AAF on CBS outdid Rockets and Thunder on ABC.
Now, the AAF lost to a rerun of America's Got Talent on NBC, but think about that for a minute. And smack dab in the middle of the NBA season with two teams who are definitely going to make the playoffs and the Thunder with Westbrook and the Rockets with Harden in that overrated streak of 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 games of of 30 plus points scored an AAF football game where they had where you know where the where the broadcast sound was so spotty I mean gee every five it seems like every it was like for every like for every play they would have like two Two moments where, like, the broadcast booth sound was for whatever the reason cut off. I mean, an AAF football game on CBS with Sparrow Dees in the broadcast booth and, and, um, what's her name? Uh, oh, come to me. Uh, God, what is her name? What is her name? What is her name? Not Ally LaForce, but the other, the other, not, it's not Melanie Collins. It's, uh, it'll, it'll come to me, but anyway, with, oh, God, what was his name? I gotta look, I'll, it'll probably come to me once I get finished recording, but, um, but anyway, an AAF football game, less than seven days after the Super Bowl, on the same network the Super Bowl was broadcasted on, outdid Sunday night, excuse me, Saturday night primetime basketball on ABC between Rockets and Thunder. You want to tell me that that uh, that basketball reigns supreme over over uh, the sport of football? Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. Thank you for watching another, or excuse me, thank you for listening to another episode of I'm Until Like a TIS podcast. Uh, if you like, if you liked uh, what you heard, and if you enjoyed, if you liked it, Jamie Erdahl, that's what it was. Ja- so Jamie Erdahl on the sideline with Kurt Warner and with Sparrow Deeds in the broadcast booth where they had like 9,000 sound cutoffs in the broadcast outdid NBA on ABC Saturday night between Thunder and Rockets with Harden and Westbrook playing in the game with Mike Breen, Van Gundy, and Mark Jackson calling the game. Outdid the first game of a of a brand new spanking new football league less than a week after the Super Bowl.
If you like what you heard in this latest episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast, be sure to subscribe. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give a rating of how well you liked the podcast and be and feel free to leave your opinion and comment down below if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Please, sh- please share your, this podcast with your family and friends, those of you out there who enjoy uh, the subject of sports talk. I'm Jai Shields. Talk to you next weekend. Take care. Be safe. Be blessed. God bless. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.